Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at www.livinghopechicago.com. We trust that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. The word incarnation is also a Latin word, and um, it means in flesh. It's derived here from the passage that we're going to read. I'm going to read a lengthy passage from John 1. We're going to read the first 18 verses uh, in just a moment. But Larry King, the, the former CNN host of Larry King Live, Larry King's normally the one asking questions, but once he was asked a question, the uh, person that he was interviewing kind of flipped the tables on him a little bit and asked him a question. And this was the question. I thought it was an interesting question. They said, Larry, you've interviewed many people. If you could interview one person from history, anybody in all of history, who would you interview? He said, Jesus Christ. I, was, I, was, I thought that was intriguing. Well, the questioner followed up with that and said, well, what would you want to ask Jesus Christ? Let me give you what Larry King replied. He said, I would like to ask him if he was an indeed, if he was indeed virgin born. I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born, virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. It's fascinating. If I can interview anyone, who would it be? Jesus Christ. What would you ask Jesus Christ? I would ask him if he's virgin born. Because that would define history for me. You know, I, I agree with Larry King. The answer to that question, is Jesus virgin born, does define history. And we know what the answer to that question. Those of us that are believers who accept God's word as being true and accept uh, the fact and reality of the validity of the Bible... And although we can't have a face-to-face interview with Jesus and ask him the question, were you virgin born, and hear a, a response from him that we can hear with our ears, according to him, we have something even more certain than that. Because here's what I want to say to you. What if Larry King did have a sit-down interview? What if Larry King got on Larry King Live and said, you know what, my dream came true, I got that wish, I had that face-to-face with Jesus. I asked him he's virgin-born. He said yes. Would you be more convinced than you are right now? You see, what I want to tell you is that would Jesus have to go to every single one of us and every one of us have a sit-down interview with him and ask him, are you virgin-born? You know what? Rather than do that, you know what Jesus gave us? He gave us his word. His word that he's preserved, that he's protected, that he's guarded, that he's guided, that he's validated through prophecy, which has stood the test of time, which tells us what we need to know concerning that question and many, many other questions. But here's what I want to ask you. Is do you in your life, do you have a settled peace in your heart about who Jesus is? Do you have a real settled, are you convinced about the fact that Jesus Christ not only was virgin born, but that he is the son of God. God eternal. God the son. Who did not begin his existence in the manger. He eternally existed, but he began his earthly life in Bethlehem in that manger. Because you know what? I, I, I've met a lot of people that are very vague about their belief in Jesus. And what I mean by that is you ask them the questions, yeah, I believe in him, but... But, you know, you almost get the look in their eye that they're not real convinced about that. That is kind of like a, um, 
an intellectual, assenting belief. It's not a driving heart certainty. You ever talk to somebody about something and they, they said they believed something and you could just kind of tell though that it's a little shaky. It wasn't very firm. They don't appear to be convinced in such a way that has transformed their life. You know what I found very interesting about what Larry King said? He said he would define history for me. Can I interpret that and in how I interpret it? That would explain everything for me. If Jesus is virgin born, that explains it all for me. Wow. There's a lot of people, they don't seem to be transformed by this truth. That not only was Jesus virgin born, but he is who he says he is. He's God. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Because I tell you what, when you come to the place, when you and I come to the place where we take that truth and we own it in such a way where we are convinced, so we take both arms around it and we take a firm grasp in faith, not this vague belief, this kind of just mental assenting belief, this intellectual heart, yeah, I think, yeah. No, but where we really take hold of this with settled certainty that He is the Son of God, He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. It is a transforming belief. It becomes the very bedrock of your life and my life. And you know, in the text that we're going to read, the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit's the author of the Bible. He used humans to pin the words, but these words are God-breathed. It's from God. It's the very breath of God. You know, when you speak, what you're actually hearing, uh, someone is actually hearing your breath. It's your breath going across uh, your vocal cords and making sounds through the shape of your word. It's your breath coming out with noise. And so it says the word is inspired. It means God breathed. It's literally God's words that he put into the hearts of men to write. And what we have in this word that we're going to read today is revealed truth about the nature of Jesus. Look with me in John chapter one, verse one. Look at these verses with me. In the beginning was the Word. And you see that's capitalized, and that refers to Jesus. It's one of the many names given to Him. In the beginning was the Word, was Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Still talking about Jesus, verse 3. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. For time's sake, skip down to verse 14. We'll come back in the next couple weeks and fill in all those other verses. But look at verse 14. And the word was made flesh. That's our word incarnation, made flesh, in flesh. The word, God, was made flesh. Flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, and of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. He hath declared Him. 
What I want to speak to you today about is this, that the truth about Jesus' nature, the question that Larry King posed, the answer's been revealed to us about who Jesus is, about His nature. And the question I want to answer today is what has been revealed about the nature of Jesus? What do we know about Jesus? What is it about His nature that has been revealed? And today I want to give you five truths about the nature of Jesus that have been revealed. Five truths that you and I need to take hold of with hands and hearts of faith and be convinced and persuaded about concerning who Jesus Christ really is. Will you pray with me about that? Father, speak to our hearts today in this service. Father, this is such an enormous topic today. The fact that your Son, God the Son, became a man. It boggles our mind that God could become man without ceasing to become to be God. The humanity and deity of Jesus wrapped into one person. Lord, we are too finite to understand these things fully. Teach us today. Guide us in this truth today. Help us to see what your word teaches. Open up hearts today to your word. And may we respond in faith to what you teach us today. There are some today who don't know you as Savior. May today be the day they come to believe on you, Lord Jesus, to be convinced. If there are some that have a vague, uncertain, unsettled belief in you, may today they be fully persuaded. For those of us that do believe in you, Lord, and do trust you with all of our hearts, even deepen the roots of our faith today. And I pray that through this message, Lord, you'd also compel us to be so bold and unashamed and courageous in publishing and sharing and witnessing of our faith in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What do we know about the nature of Jesus? What has been revealed about who he is? Let me give you five things very quickly. Number one, Jesus is God equal with the Father. What do we know about the nature of Jesus? We know very clearly from verse 1 that Jesus is God. He is not like God. He is not just merely a resemblance of God. But Jesus is God. Look what it says in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The phrase in the beginning is used twice. It's used again in verse 2. The same was in the beginning. This is a clear reference to the fact that Jesus is eternal. He was in the beginning. Before everything started. Jesus was there. He is timeless and eternal. You know, it's interesting to me that John 1.1 begins the same way that Genesis 1.1 begins. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word. And Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What do we know about this? It means that Jesus is God and He is equal with the Father. What do you mean equal with the Father? Look at verse 1 again. In the beginning was the Word. And then notice the second phrase there. And the Word was with God. You know, literal translation is face-to-face with God. That Jesus the Son is face-to-face with God the Father. God the Son face-to-face with God the Father. As co-equal, equal together. As two equals in fellowship together being face-to-face. The Word was with God. You know what tells us two things? That phrase tells us two things about Jesus. It tells us that Jesus and God the Father are of equal essence. And it also tells us that they are distinct persons. That God the Father 
and God the Son are one, but they are distinct persons. And that's where we get into this whole teaching of the Bible about the Trinity, which is not my message today. That's a different message. But the Trinity is, is that you have a plurality of personhood within the Godhead, that there is a three in one, that there is a God the Father, there is God the Son, and there is God the Spirit. One God, three persons. Blow you away? Absolutely. But is it the truth that's been revealed about God's Word, about who He is? Yes. That they are equal in deity, but distinct in person. And the Word was God. Look at the last part of verse 1. And the Word was God. A direct, unmistakable statement to the fact that Jesus is God. He is eternal like God the Father. He was not created. He was in the beginning. He is the beginning. So He's he's equal with God because He's eternal. He's equal with God because He's face-to-face with God. Now, consider this illustration. It's not perfect, but perhaps it will help. Consider the marriage relationship between a husband and the wife. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Who's more important or who's more valuable, the husband or the wife? All the husbands are trying to get brownie points right now, and they're like... The she's more important than me, Pastor Daniel. What a silly question you're asking today, right? Oh, well, let me ask it this way. Who's more valuable to God, the husband or the wife? I think we'd all say they're both equally valuable to God. The wife was made in God's image, was she not? The husband was made in God's image, was he not? Which one's made more in God's image, the husband or the wife? That's right, neither. They're, they're equally made in God's image. They're equally valuable to Him. Jesus loves the wife. He died for her. He gave His blood for her. Jesus loves the husband. He died for him. Shed His blood for him. Both husband and wife are of the same essence in God's sight, but they do have different roles. And, and, and God ordained Again, this isn't my message today, it's just an illustration. That God ordained that the husband should be the leader in the home. Doesn't mean that he's the dictator. Doesn't mean that he's the fuhrer of the home. This means that he's, he's, he's commanded to lead. He's to do so lovingly. In fact, if, 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 if any ladies get upset with that idea, let me just remind you that he said in, in, in Ephesians chapter 5 that he's to do so like Jesus led. And Jesus did that by laying down his life for his bride which is the church, which is us. So he said the husband is supposed to lead by sacrifice, by loving sacrifice, by giving of himself. What a high and lofty position of, in the sense of, of not that, okay, now the husband's the leader, so you've got to do everything he says. You've got to bow down and kiss his feet. Now, that's not what the Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches he's to lead, but that it's his love and his sacrifice That is to to compel the wife to want to follow her husband because he loves her so much that he's willing to lay down his life for her. I don't know of any woman in the world that wouldn't want to follow a man that would do that. So the idea here is, and don't get this confused, and this is a good application for this truth today. Don't let our world confuse you that the Bible teaches inequality between men and women. Don't let the the liberal agenda of culture try to tell you that the Bible teaches that women are inferior. The only way you can tell me and convince me that I believe the Bible 
teaches that women are inferior to men is if you can convince me also that the Bible teaches that Jesus is inferior to God the Father when he's not. But what we do find in the Godhead is we find in this relationship between God the Son and God the Father equal essence. None is greater than the other face to face. But yet in their loving relationship, they have different roles where God is a father. Jesus is the son. And Jesus has willingly chosen to submit himself to the father. The father gives glory to the son. The son gives glory to the father. God the father is not more God than Jesus the son. They are equal in every way. Yet in God's divine plan, they do have distinct roles. I think it's the same way as we illustrate it with the marriage relationship. Different roles does not, does not negate equality. It does not, according to what Scripture teaches. The Son glorifies the Father, but the Father glorifies the Son. In fact, uh, it's interesting what, what, what the Bible teaches. I don't have this on the screen, but Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, God the Father says this to Jesus the Son. He said, Thy throne, O God. God the Father called Jesus God. He says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. There seems to be this amazing divine modesty within the Godhead where, where the Father is reflecting glory to the Son and the Son is reflecting glory to the Father. And you know what marriages that work really well are those that are continually pointing back to the other, where they're deferring to the other, where they're sacrificing to the other, where they're loving the other. That's what you see. You don't see any competition between God the Son and God. You ever catch that in the Bible? Is there any competition you ever find any jealousy between God the Father? Well, everyone's singing praises to Jesus today. They didn't sing Father today. They sang Jesus. I'm jealous today. Why? Why? Because they're equal. They have different roles. And, and, and different roles does not negate equality. Thy throne, God the Father said to Jesus, Thy throne, O God, is forever. Now, if you and I deny the deity of Jesus deny that he is God, we do not possess eternal life. Eternal life is dependent upon faith that Jesus Christ is not just a man, but he's God. He's the God-man. Jesus is not merely like God. He doesn't merely resemble God. He's not God-like. He is God. That's what the scripture clearly teaches His written word said so. Jesus himself said so. In fact, his resurrection from the dead proved that he is God. And you remember what Thomas, one of the disciples of Jesus, remember what Thomas said whenever he, first he told the disciples, I won't believe unless I see the nail prints in his hands. And then Jesus appeared to him and told Thomas and said, touch my hands, touch touch my side. You remember what Thomas said? My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. If Jesus was not God, you know what he would have done? He would have did what Peter did. He would have did what Paul did. He did what many others have done whenever they were referred to as God. Stopped him and said no. That's what a good man does who's not God. But Jesus didn't rebuke Thomas. 
In fact, he said, blessed are you for believing, and blessed are those who will believe who have not seen. Jesus is God. He's equal with the Father. Number two, Jesus is the creator of all that exists. Verse three, I mean, it's just as clear as could be. All, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Notice these three words, phrases here. Uh, all things, the first phrase. Second phrase, without him. And then the last word, nothing. All of that points to the fact that Jesus is the creator and maker of, 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 of everything there is. Literally, verse 3 means that nothing was made without Jesus. It emphasizes the fact that Jesus is not a created being. Follow with me because there's a lot of cults and false religions that teach this. They will say a lot of things that sound like what you and I believe. But once you start peeling back the veneer of what they really believe, they believe that somewhere along the way in the past, Jesus was a created angelic being. That he is some type of elevated form of what you and I are. But verse 3 is very clear that Jesus is in no way a created being, but rather He is the Creator of all things. Jesus is the Creator. Now, maybe this illustration will help. Imagine that you own a business, and that in your business you, you are, have an equal partner. You and your partner, you both started the business. You've worked seamlessly together in this organization in every aspect of it. Everything from when the idea was developed, it was a, it was a joint venture of developing the idea, uh, you organizing your, your business, your advertising, hiring and firing, marketing, all of these things. You've done nothing without your partner. Your partner has done nothing without you. Everything your business is, everything that's been accomplished through your business, you have done in absolute unison together. In every way possible, you are equal partners working in unison together. What we find out about creation is that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit working in seamless, perfect, absolute unison together in creating the world. That's why at times you find it saying that God the Father created the world. And then in John 3, or 1, 3, we find that Jesus created the world. Well, who was it? The answer is yes. That the Trinity, Jesus, God the Father, the Spirit, working together seamlessly creating the world. Verse 3, all things were made by Him. This is further proof of the deity of Jesus. And I like what Bible teacher John MacArthur pointed out. This, this is what he said. He said, For the creator of all things must himself be uncreated. One that's going to create all things has to be himself uncreated. Since time began with creation of the physical universe, whatever existed before that creation is eternal. So verse 3 implies that if Jesus created all things that he had to be eternal and uncreated. Jesus is the creator of all that exists. You know what I find interesting in the Bible, as I go through and read the Gospels, is that people marveled at how Jesus had authority and power over nature. Remember he calmed the sea and they said, what manner of man is this that the wind and sea obey him? Remember when he cursed the fig tree and immediately it started to wither and away and die? And they said, wow, how did this happen? 
that Jesus had such marvelous power over creation. All of nature and creation was subject to Him. Why? Because He's the creator of all that exists. Nature was listening to its master, taking orders from its creator. And I wonder, is that how you view Jesus? And in your heart and in your mind and in in your spirit as you're worshiping Jesus, do you see Him by eyes of faith as the Almighty One, as the one, the creator and maker of all that there is, the eternal creator God. Is that how we see him? Because that's who he is. That's who he is. So what do we know about the nature of Jesus? What's been revealed? He's God. He's creator. Number three, he's self-existent with life in himself. He's self-existent with life in himself. Look at verse four. In him was life. Fascinating to me. In him was life. Meaning that Jesus does not derive life outside of himself. That he has life within himself. In him was life. He's not dependent upon anything outside of him for life. He has life within himself. He is the source of life. Ravi Zacharias tells about the time he was taking a test in seminary. And I had bad memories when reading this illustration because I can remember those days as well. Uh, But one of the questions on the test that he was asked was this. Four words. God is perfect. Explain. That's when you just want to fake sick and leave. God is perfect. Explain. He said said, the longer you write, the greater the... uh, 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 likelihood of heresy he said so i tried to keep my answer very short and this is what he that's probably why i failed many tests thinking back of it now in college and seminaries probably because of that my answers were too long and you end up going into heresy when you have long answers that's what he wrote and i think it's a, it's a wonderful answer he said he is the only god is perfect explain here's the answer he is the only entity in existence the reason for whose existence is in himself All other entities or quantities, take take an apple for example. An apple doesn't explain the existence of itself. It didn't give itself life. life. Something else gave it life. And so any entities or quantities have the reason of their existence outside of themselves. So in that sense, God is uncaused, non-contingent, implicitly perfect his very existence is not dependent on anyone else that's what it means when it says jesus in him was life that he is self-existent he said in john 14 6 i am the way i am the truth i am the life jesus is the source of physical life in him we live and move and have our being Jesus is the source of abundant life, peace, and joy, and contentment come from Him. He's the source of all of that. But He's also the source of eternal life. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Because everyone in this room has existence. We have what we could call physical life. We have existence. But I wonder, does everyone in this room have eternal life? You know, when you read the Bible, what what I think is very interesting is this dynamic that goes through scripture that apart from jesus we are dead in trespasses and sin i'm a firm believer that until a person comes to saving faith in jesus christ they really don't know what it's like to live they know what it's like to exist 
They don't know what it's like to really live, to have life. And this begs the question, is there more to life than just a heart that beats, to blood that flows into the body, to oxygen that fills the lungs? Is that life? Or is there more to life than just existing? Is there this real spiritual life, this spiritual vitality? That's why Jesus said man does not live by bread alone. Because our being is far more than just physical nature. Until you know Jesus personally, really all you have is existence. You don't have life. You know what it is to be physically alive, but you don't, want to, you don't know what it is to have the life of God, the life of Jesus. So what do we know about the nature of Jesus? He's God. He's the creator. All things are made by Him. Nothing was made without Him. He's self-existent. In Him was life. He doesn't derive life. Number four, Jesus is the light who dispels deception and sin. Notice verse four, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You notice the play on words there, the, the usage of light and darkness used all through the Bible, especially John's gospel. He uses it over and over again. Often it's used metaphorically. Light refers to truth and righteousness. Darkness refers to ignorance, deception, and sin. And notice that Jesus is called the light of men. The light of men. And that He's shining into the darkness. It's the idea that humanity, because of sin... We are enveloped in darkness. We are deceived. We are blind. We are lost. And Jesus is the light of men, shining in the darkness. And look at verse 5. It says, and the darkness comprehended it not. The word comprehend, uh, don't don't think necessarily about that it doesn't understand it, like with your intellect, like like you're reading a question and you say, I don't really comprehend that. The word comprehend means overcame or overcome. It's the idea that the light is shining and that the darkness cannot overcome the light. It can't extinguish the light. It can't put the light out. So here's the idea. The point of these two verses is that because of sin, all of mankind is in darkness. And that now we're in the kingdom of darkness, which the Bible says that Satan, the devil, is the prince of darkness and that his kingdom is called the kingdom of darkness. And that Jesus is called the light and his his kingdom is called the kingdom of light, the kingdom of truth, the kingdom of righteousness. And the idea of verse 4 and 5 is that there's this spiritual warfare going on where Satan and his kingdom of darkness has people in darkness and in blindness and in deception and sin and evil. And Jesus, the kingdom of light, is shining in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome the light. If if you're in a location, you're in a room, you're at a place that's pitch black dark and you you light one small candle, it's amazing, That, that, that one little candle in a dark room Drive away the darkness. Make you be able to see around. Even see just about anywhere in the room. Just because of that one light. 
This, this word light that's used in verse 5, same word that's used about the wise men when they saw the star appear. And they followed that star in the darkness exactly to where Jesus went to. That Jesus is the light. You don't think the world lives in darkness? If you, if you watch what's going on in Colorado, watching what's going on in, in Paris, you seeing what's going on in Africa, I can't remember the name of the place, the other uh, terrorist attack that took place. Maui, thank you. My brain is going today. World in darkness. Things that now we're completely, our culture is embracing a whole different worldview and philosophy of, of what it means, what truth is, what is right and wrong. And we're confusing our children nowadays. We're confusing the world today. Jesus said, I'm the light. I'm dispelling the darkness. You're in the middle. I'm in the middle of a spiritual battle. The kingdom of darkness is at war with the kingdom of light. If you don't know Christ, Satan wants to keep you in blindness and darkness. But the Bible tells us here that Jesus is that light that's shining in the darkness and that you and I don't have to live in darkness or uncertainty. That we have light. Finally, what, what do you know about Jesus? He's God. He's creator. He's self-existent. He's light. That means He's truth. He's righteousness. He's the way that we follow out of the mess that our world is in. Number five, finally, Jesus became a man. What do we know about His nature? He became a man for the purpose of bringing us to the Father. Verse 14, and the Word was made flesh. The eternal God, the Creator God, the God who's equal with the Father, the God who is self-existent with life in Himself, the God who is light in whom there is no darkness, who is truth and righteousness, that God was made flesh. That God became a man. That God took on humanity. There was a time when Jesus was not a man, but that he became a man. This is what I want to say as we come to a close in just a moment. There's never been a time and there will never be a time that Jesus was anything less than full deity as God. He's never been anything less than God. There was a time he was not man where God stepped into humanity. And this is the mystery of what the incarnation is, that God became man without ceasing to be God. That God became man without ceasing to be God. Jesus did not become less of Godness. He did not become less God, did not lose any of his deity when he became a man. He dwelt among us. How did He do that? How did He become flesh and dwelt among us? Through the virgin birth. He was born into the world, placed into the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. He dwelt among us. That means He lived as a human being. That He was a historical figure. People saw Him. People heard Him. People watched Him. He lived and dwelt among us. He did that to bring us grace, to bring us to the Father. Philippians chapter 2, let me read this to you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. Listen to these verses. Let this mind be in you, 
which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Did you catch that? It says that he made himself of no reputation. You know what that means? It means it emptied himself of what we call the prerogatives of his deity. That he laid aside those prerogatives that were his and lived the life of a servant. didn't mean he became less than God, but that he laid aside his privileges as divine deity. And as we sang about earlier, it's why I love Christmas hymns so much because they're so rich in doctrine. We sang it a moment ago, veiled in flesh, veiled in flesh, hidden, so to speak. He veiled and hid from human eye who he truly was. Remember when he walked up to the Mount of Transfiguration and he let his glory shine and the disciples were stunned and saying, wow, look at the glory of this one. He veiled in flesh. We sang the veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail incarnate deity, God in the flesh. Wow. God entered into this broken, sinful, wicked world. He came to redeem me, to rescue me, to die for me. He came to take my death that I could have his life. In him was life. Verse 18 tells us no man has seen God at any time. We were separated from God, dead but the only begotten Son in the bosom of the Father, face to face with the Father. It says, He hath declared Him. He hath showed Him to us. He's the light. He's taken us to God. I want you to picture in your mind right now as we close, picture in your mind Jesus seated upon His throne in heaven. Picture Him in heaven. Picture Him seated on His throne. Picture Him there. He's arrayed in majesty, splendor, Picture the heavenly beings worshiping and praising Him, the angels and other beings. Picture Him there being magnified, adored, and the splendor of heaven. Now I want you to picture Him as a tiny baby lying in a manger. Picture Him wrapped in swaddling clothes. Picture Him in a little town of Bethlehem. And I want to read you the words of a great Christmas hymn. It says, Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home there was found no room for thy holy nativity. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. When you picture in your mind the baby lying in the manger... Don't fail to remember the fact that that was not his beginning. That he is the eternal word. That he is the God of all creation. That he is the self-existent God, the light. And that he became a human being in that manger. He came into this world to dwell among us. That we might be saved. What a truth that is. Examine what you truly believe about Jesus. Are are you convinced? Do you have this vague belief about Him? Or does it define everything for you? 
If you committed your life to Jesus Christ today or made a spiritual decision, we'd like to know about it. Please contact us online at www.livinghopechicago.com. We hope you will join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.